Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Dr. Harlan Betts, and I'm delighted to welcome you to Wisdom from Above, where we go beyond the reasoning of man to the revelation of God. Would you like to be set for the future? Would you like to have a great investment? Let me tell you about a phenomenal real estate deal. It can be described like this. Unmatched features, luxurious home sites, phenomenal views, beautiful waterways, wonderful parks, famous residents. It has a fabulous environment. The lighting is divine and there are no light bills. It has perfect weather indoors and outdoors. No need for furnaces or air conditioners. There will be no hurricanes, tornadoes, volcanic eruptions, earthquakes, wildfires, floods, or storms at all. There's pure water in abundance, easily accessible to all. All inhabitants are guaranteed perfect health. There will be no poverty or hunger or malnutrition. There will be no sickness, no pain, no disease, no death. The streets are paved with gold, so there'll be no potholes, no traffic jams, no highways, no construction tie-ups. The neighborhood is guaranteed free of crime. There'll be no stealing, no drugs, no murder. There's guaranteed permanent peace. There will be no weapons of mass destruction, no fear of biological holocaust, no wars of any size or any kind. Everyone will be like a beloved and trusted family member. The leader will be kind and benevolent, wise and wonderful, righteous and just, loving and holy. You can secure a contract for the New Jerusalem. All you need is Jesus. And the amazing thing is, it's all free. The costs have been paid by our God to his son. Before we look at the final passage in the book of Revelation, let's take a moment to reflect on what we have discovered in this book. The prologue highlights the theme of the return of Jesus Christ. Then the book is broken into past, present, and future. In the past, chapter 1, the things which you have seen. John is banished by man, but he's blessed by God. John sees a sevenfold vision of Christ in his purity, his authority, his beauty, and his eternality. John is humbled and commanded to write. And then he writes about the present, things which are now, chapters 2 and 3, the church age. The believers in the seven churches are confronted with their sins, and challenged to overcome them through the grace of God. This church age concludes with the rapture of the church up to heaven. Chapters 4 through the end of the book, in chapter 22, is the things which shall be. It's the future. First, there is the tribulation in chapters 4 to 18. We discovered that the tribulation will be a seven-year period, of unprecedented holocaust on earth. God will pour out a series of seven seal, seven trumpet, and seven bold judgments, consecutively, with a goal of turning Israelites' hearts to the Messiah, 
and with the goal of bringing an end to man's rebellion against him. The Antichrist will be deceiving and controlling. The One World Church movement will be prospering and perverting. Wars will be escalating. Famine will be growing. Demons will be tormenting. And saints will be martyred. The tribulation concludes with the second coming of Christ in Revelation chapter 19, where the Lord Jesus Christ literally, physically, returns from heaven to earth to rule and to reign. And that brings us to chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, the millennial kingdom, where Jesus Christ rules and reigns for 1,000 years. This is followed by the final rebellion, which is brief, but a losing cause. And that is followed by the great white throne judgment, where all the unsaved dead will receive righteous judgment and be cast into the lake of fire. Then we come to the last two chapters in the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and 22. And we see a new heaven and a new earth. A world of peace and no wars, light and no darkness, health and no sickness, food and no hunger, joy and no sorrow, life and no death. God with us, us with God. And then that is followed by the epilogue in chapter 22, verses 6 to 21. And this is the passage we're going to investigate today. We will see three things. The faithful word of God the Father. The finished work of God the Son. And the final witness of God the Spirit. First, the faithful word of God the Father. In verse 6, we see the accuracy of the Word of God. John is writing, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. These words in the book of Revelation are faithful and true. In fact, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. But the chain of communication for this book is that it went from God to Jesus, from Jesus to an angel, and from an angel to John. The book of Revelation is a book of stunning predictions, powerful promises, and practical applications. Its major message, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to the earth. We see it in verse 7. We see it in verse 12. We see it in verse 20. Jesus is coming back. In verse 7 to 9, we see the authority of the Word of God. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But then he said to me, See that you don't do that, for I am your fellow servant, 
and of your brethren the prophets and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, the unique God-man, the Messiah, who is coming back. He, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly. He says so himself. Prepare for his coming. Live in the light of his coming. It is God who calls us to obedience, like with Samuel. And Samuel says, Speak, Lord, for your servant is hearing and ready to obey. It is God who is worthy of worship. As Jesus said, he must, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. So when you've seen the accuracy of the word of God, the words are faithful and true. We've seen the authority of the word of God, that Jesus is coming back. And John was so taken back by this revelation that he fell before the feet of the angel. And the angel said, don't worship me, worship God. It's God who must be worshipped. It's God's word that must be trusted. It's the authority of the word of God. Now we see the accessibility of the word of God in verse 10. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. John is told not to seal the words of the prophecy of this book. This prophecy is to be revealed, not sealed. It's to be shared, not shelved. After all, it's called a revelation. The book of Revelation of Jesus Christ is designed to reveal, not to conceal. It's designed to clarify, not to mystify. And it is to be shared, not shelved. Heard, not hid. Far too many are afraid to even read the book or hesitant to ever teach or preach the book because they feel like they can't understand it. And yet we read that there is a promise of blessing to those who read it and heed it. It is to be intentionally obeyed, not intentionally avoided. John is being told to spread the word of this prophecy. What word? Christ is coming back. The critical moment of time is at hand. The coming of Christ is imminent. Jesus could return at any moment. This book must be opened and read and studied and obeyed. We must read these words and heed these words. The time is now. This is the opportune time. So we've seen the faithful word of God the Father. Now we see the finished work of God the Son in verses 11 through 16. And first of all, it settles who we are in verse 11. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. You see, Jesus hung on that cross between two thieves. One believed and was blessed forever, declared righteous and holy. One did not believe and was condemned forever, still unjust, still filthy. Christ's work on the cross is the dividing line. Everyone either believes in Jesus and is saved and declared righteous, or they reject Jesus and they're lost and remain in their sin, unrighteous. So the Bible isn't, in these verses, 
The Bible isn't encouraging those who are filthy to remain so. The Bible is declaring that those who are filthy, when Christ returns, will remain so. Those who are unjust, when Christ returns, will remain so. Those who are righteous, when Christ returns, will remain so. Those who are holy, when Christ returns, will remain so. The Bible is declaring that when Christ returns, our character will be crystallized. If you have not made a decision to trust in Christ before his return, it will be too late to make a decision when he returns. If you wait until he returns, you've waited too long. When Christ returns, if you fail to trust in him and are therefore still in your sins, you'll be that way forever. On the other hand, if you have trusted in Christ and have his righteousness placed on your account, you will be that way forever. As Jesus declared, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Don't put it off. You may not have another chance. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Well, it not only settles who we are, it settles what we can experience. In verses 12 through 15, we see, first of all, Jesus has the rewarder in verse 12. He says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Well, first of all, you have to be in Christ in order to live for Christ. If you're not a believer, you can't live for him. And if you don't live for him, you won't be rewarded. We're setting the stage now for all eternity. We will be rewarded then according to our works now. All believers will be justly and rightly rewarded. My first book, Setting the Stage for Eternity, deals with this very powerful, motivating concept. Second, we see Jesus as the eternal one in verse 13. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus existed in eternity past, before all things were created. He is the creator of all things. He is God. He is eternal. He always was. He always is. And he always will be. Then we read about the blessed in verse 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. Those who have accepted Christ's work have hope. There's the hope of rewards for believers. God said he would reward believers, and he will. He's not unjust so as to forget our labor of love and work of faith. Melvin Hoover served for 50 years as a gardener for the Mendelssohn family. He was granted $100,000 in Evelyn Mendelssohn's will. Melvin's response, She said she'd take care of me, and she did. 
Well, Jesus said that even a cup of cold water given in his name would not go unrewarded. He said he will reward us, and he will. Well, after reading about the the blessed, in verse 15, we read about the condemned. But outside, outside of this new heaven, are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. You see, those who've rejected Christ's work are condemned. They're bound by their own blindness. They're ruined by their own refusal. They're dead in their own sins. They're cemented in their own selfishness. They're separated from the only true God by their own choice. They are hopelessly, eternally, cut off from God and the eternal city. We who are believers were guilty of the, some of the same sins, but because we place our faith in Christ, our sins are covered by the blood of Christ. As we read in Isaiah one eighteen, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So it it settles who we are. It settles what we can experience. And it settles whose we are. We read in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. So as we look at the finished work of God the Son, we see him giving this very encouraging comment. The authenticity of this book, it is Jesus' testimony. He sent the angel to testify to these things. And the recipients of the book, the churches, those called out ones, the believers who are called out of the world into Christ, And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Note carefully, the crucial issue is not who we are, it is whose we are. Believers have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. He bought us, and we're his possession. We belong to him, and he is our portion. And Jesus says, I am the root and offspring of David. He is the promised Messiah, Savior, and King. If you place your faith in Christ, you belong to Him, and He is yours. And then He says, I'm the bright and morning star. Jesus is the bright and morning star. Men and women of John's day were very conscious of the stars. The morning star announced the rising of the sun and the dawning of a new day. How appropriate that Jesus is called the bright and morning star. He will usher in God's eternal day. His light will shine. It shines now in a dark world. Have you seen the light? Does he shine in your life? Well, we've seen the faithful word of God the Father, the finished work of God the Son, and now in verses 17 to 21, we see the final witness of God the Spirit. Verse 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. 
and let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, Come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So, first the Spirit of God says, Come. Come to Jesus Christ. Then the Bride of Christ, the church, believers say, Come. Come to Jesus Christ. Then the hearers of the prophecy say, Come. Come to Jesus Christ. The invitation to the thirsty, Come. The invitation to the desirous, Come, take the water freely. Take the water of life freely. Do you want forgiveness? Do you want eternal life? You can have it in Christ. And then in verses 18 and 19, we see the last warning. The last welcome was to come in verse 17. The last warning in verses 18 and 19. Listen carefully to these words. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in the book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, from the things which are written in this book. If anyone adds to the words of the prophecy, God will add to him the plagues in this book. By the way, the plagues were temporal. There are to be no more revelations, no more prophecies, no additional words from God. If anyone subtracts from the words of this book, God will subtract from him the blessings of the tree of life and the holy city. One's part or share is often used in reference to an inheritance. With the completion of this final book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, the Bible is now complete. We already had the Old Testament at the time of Christ, and then the apostles and their close associates wrote the New Testament with John on Isle of Patmos, writing this final book of the New Testament. And now the Bible is complete. And no one is to add any new revelations. No one is to add any new prophecies. No one is to take away any of God's revelation. God's word is complete. And with the completion of the book of Revelation, God's word is finalized. It is accurate. It is inerrant. And it is sufficient. The Holy Spirit supernaturally guided the writers of the scripture. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Therefore, this warning extends to the entire Bible. Do not tamper with God's word. There's grave danger in adding to the Bible. There's grave danger in taking away from the Bible. They both move us away from the revelation of God to the reasoning of man. So do not add any revelations or prophecies. Do not take away anything from the Bible. Don't take away the teaching on the literal six days of creation. Don't take away the teaching on the creation of man as male and female. Don't take away the teaching on the sacredness of life in the womb. Don't take away the teaching on the literal, physical resurrection of Christ. Don't take away the teaching on the second coming of Christ. Don't take away the teaching on hell. 
Don't take away the teaching that Jesus is the only way to God. Don't take away the teachings of the Bible. And don't add. Don't get new prophecies, new revelation, new words. Don't accept it. Don't accept any new words or prophecies, even if they claim to come from God. Period. We must accept the Bible as God's word. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. We must accept the Bible as inspired. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. We must accept the Bible as authoritative. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And then in the last two verses, we see the last words. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So we see several things here. First, Christ's promise. I am coming quickly. This is God's final word. I am coming quickly. He is coming back. His coming will be quick. That is, it will be sudden, swift, unexpected. Coming like a thief in the night. No one knows the day nor the hour. His coming will take many by surprise. Are you ready? Are you ready for the rapture? Or will you be left behind to go into the great tribulation? John's response. Even so, come Lord Jesus. There's a great anticipation in John's response. By the way, this is the first time the name Lord Jesus is found in the book of Revelation. The name Lord highlights the deity of Christ. He is God. He is the Messiah. The name Jesus highlights the humanity of Christ. He did come to earth to seek and save the lost. He did come to earth to lay down his life as a ransom for many. John's Lord Jesus is coming again. My Lord Jesus is coming again. Your Lord Jesus is coming again. And he's coming in power and glory. He's coming to rule and reign. And he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords. What a glorious day that will be when my Savior I shall see. I shall look upon his face and know that I've been saved by grace. What a day, glorious day will be. And then John says, so be it. Come, Lord Jesus. Then we see John's prayer. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. It's kind of his final farewell goodbye, but it's a prayer. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. John's final word is a message of grace. Undeserved blessing. Unmerited favor from God. How appropriate that the revelation of Christ be concluded with grace. There is saving grace using the acronym G-R-A-C-E, God's righteousness at Christ's expense. This grace is experienced at the moment when you personally trust in Christ for eternal life. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's a once-for-all decision that happens at a moment in time. That's saving grace. Then there's sanctifying grace. Using another acronym, God's resources at Christ's expense. This grace is experienced daily as we tap into the grace of God for our Christian walk. Grace unleashes God's power and strength to enable us to become all He wants us to be and do all He wants us to do. Believers have already experienced saving grace. John now wishes for them sanctifying grace. 
the grace to trust and obey, the grace to be triumph in the Christian life. Christ will triumph, and by His grace we too can triumph. And then John's closing, Amen, thus shall it be, so be it. I want to make just a few final comments based on the book of Revelation. First, an exhortation to believers. Will you triumph? This book brings great comfort. Christ will triumph. Christ will be victorious. But it also brings a great challenge. Will you triumph? Will you be victorious? By His grace, you can be victorious. As we've discovered in the letters to the seven churches, we battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Have you, like those in Ephesus, left your first love? If so, remember, repent, and return. Do you, like the believers in Smyrna, hold up and not fold up under pressure? If so, keep on keeping on. Have you, like the believers in Pergamum, compromised doctrinally? If so, get back to the Bible and take a stand for the truth. Have you, like the believers in Thyatira, gotten involved in sexual immorality? If so, confess it and forsake it. Have you, like the believers in Sardis, settled for a show of godliness and failed to truly be godly? If so, avoid hypocrisy by cultivating godliness in your character. Do you, like the believers in Philadelphia, make the most of every day by seizing opportunities to serve Christ and share the gospel? If so, you're an overcomer. Congratulations. Have you, like the believers in Laodicea, settled for mediocrity? If so, give Christ control over your life. Yield your will to the Spirit. Stir up the embers of your love for Christ. Catch on fire for Christ. Do you want to triumph? Well, you must be in the Word and under the Word. Study it and submit to it. Second, you must be trusting Christ daily and following Christ obediently. And third, you must be controlled by the Holy Spirit and sharing the gospel. So that's a word of challenge to believers. And then I close with an invitation to seekers. Will you come? Three times in Revelation 22, Jesus says, I am coming. And three times in Revelation 22, the unbeliever is urged to come to Christ. Some of you might be asking, well, didn't Jesus die for the sins of the world? Yes, he did. Then you're thinking, well, if he died for the sins of the world, isn't everybody in the world going to be saved? No, they are not. There must be a personal acceptance of Christ's payment. There must be a personal trust in Jesus' substitutionary death and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul said to the Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He didn't just say, well, you're saved. He said, you need to believe and you'll be saved. This truth is illustrated in the history of our country. In 1829, in Pennsylvania, George Wilson was sentenced to be hanged by a United States court for murder. President Andrew Jackson pardoned him But the pardon was refused. Wilson insisted that it was not a pardon unless he accepted it. Well, that was a point of law never before raised. And the president called the Supreme Court to decide. Chief Justice John Marshall gave the following decision. A pardon is a paper, the value of which depends upon its acceptance by the person implicated. It is hardly to be supposed that one would refuse it. But if it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. And he was hanged. 
In the same way, Jesus Christ's death was sufficient to pay for the sins of the world. But his death is efficient only for those who believe. So you need to come to Jesus. Some of you are asking, how do I come to Jesus? This was answered by the old songwriter, Charlotte Elliott. Just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. You come just as you are, a sinner, separated from God, deserving death. Some of you are asking, what must I do to be saved? This was answered by our Savior, Jesus Christ. When he said, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Place your faith in Jesus, who died in your place, and paid the penalty for your sins, and rose from the dead, and you're given eternal life as a free gift. I plead with you, trust in Christ. If you did, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me. Well, that concludes our study of the book of Revelation. I hope you've enjoyed these investigative podcasts as much as I've enjoyed sharing them. I'm honored that you're part of my listening family. If you are enjoying these podcasts, please help me grow this podcast outreach. Give the podcast a five-star rating and take the time to write just a brief review. Share this podcast with your family. Share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting with you next week as we begin our ninth season of Wisdom from Above. This is Dr. Harlan Betts, wishing you a great week and God's blessings. Thank you for joining me in this passionate quest for wisdom from above.